Um, we are starting a new series. I, I feel like I like to kind of keep it balanced. I think last series was kind of heavy. Um, I actually had somebody before the service, they said to me, do I need any tissues for today's service? I said, no, no, it's going to be a very lighthearted series. I know it's after Easter, so we're not going to get into really heavy stuff. But after this series, we are going to, I'm working on one on the Trinity, and we're going to talk about um, Holy Spirit, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the uh, gifts of the Spirit. We're going to get into that. And then we're going to do one on evangelism, and I'm going I'm to teach you how you can evangelize in a way that fits your soul. We don't all have to witness the same way and preach the same way to people, so we're going to talk about that. But this series is a simple one, so if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Okay, for your notes, we're going to talk about this, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. I don't want you to get um, weird feelings when we keep talking about the Holy Spirit. You need to be used to hearing His name. Um, we love talking about God and Jesus. You know, when you got saved, uh, technically, Jesus did not come into your heart. Technically, the Holy Spirit is the one who came into your life. And I realize uh, three in one, I realize that. But Jesus is actually seated at the right hand of the Father. So I want us to get used to hearing about the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the personality of God. If you want to know what kind of personality Jesus had when he was on earth, it's all this fruit just coming out of him. And when you gave your life to Christ, the seed of who God is was planted inside of you. Now, as you know, fruit just doesn't, you don't plant a seed and you get fruit the next day. It takes time to grow and the tree and the branches, and then finally after several seasons, fruit is on there. And so even though when you gave your life to Jesus, all of this fruit that we're going to talk about came into your life, it takes time to grow it. And it takes time with the Holy Spirit for it to grow in your life and for it to be evident to those around you that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, our memory verse is Galatians 5.22, and I want us to read it good and strong, ready, go. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and so I don't like the patient one, so I don't say it much. Um, so fruit, it takes time to grow and develop. Do you understand that? Uh, many, many years ago when all of us were young, uh, when we were riding horses everywhere and uh, we had to walk three miles in the snow to get to school here in Myrtle Beach, um, we used to have these things called cameras. Now, they weren't, there was no cell phones, but these cameras, they were like little boxes and they had something inside of them called film. And you would take pictures and then you would take the film to Eckerd. Y'all remember Eckerd? Okay, well, you take the film to Eckerd or Walmart, and then three days later, you would get 12 pictures of your finger, uh, it, depending on how good of a photographer. You couldn't, like, edit. It wasn't like, take a picture of me, and then you, you make yourself look 20 years younger. On the, you know, it wasn't like that. What you took a picture of, that's what you got. So imagine if social media was based on those cameras, right? <laughs> None of us would be on social media anymore. Um, but so here's how it worked. You take a picture, and you say, well, I want to see the picture. Well, I, I, I have it, but you can't see it. But you said you have it. I do have it. I, you can't see it until I get it developed. And it takes time to develop it. I got the picture. It just can't be seen. I have the fruit inside of me. The minute I got saved, the fruit came into my life. But it takes time to develop it. Are you with me on that? Um, and so what I want to do in this series is, is I, instead of just preaching love and joy and peace, I had to add a little word to every sermon just to help me because my ADD, I can't just, anyway. So to, to make it a little bit more interesting, uh, the title of part one is this, um, Uniting in Love. Uniting in Love. Um, in 2006, when I started pastoring, I didn't know anything. I can't even believe that people came to my church. I knew nothing. I knew like three scriptures. But for some reason in the first service, I said, you know what? I feel like God's calling me to start a church of love. And we say it every Sunday. 
And I didn't even know 1 John 4, 8 that says God is love. So it's really a church of God is what it is. But if there's anything we should come together and unite on, it's loving God and loving people. Now, we might not agree on the second coming of Jesus Christ. We might not agree on if women should be in leadership or elders or whatever. We might not agree on the book of Revelation and what exactly it means. But one thing we should always agree on is that we're called to love God and love people. And not just people that are the same color as us and believe the same way we do and act the same way we do, but love everybody. Because Jesus' love is, is universal. He loves the Muslim as much as he loves all of you Christians. He loves the, the gay people as much as he does the straight people. Uh, he loves uh, the people that have godly morals and the people that have no morals at all. He loves them not any less or more. He loves them all the exact same. The exact same. Uh, John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by how many times you come to church. Is that what it says? <laughs> by how many scriptures you can quote. Is that what it says? By how well you carry yourself all through town. Is that what it says? By how many Jesus shirts you own, or if you listen to K-Love or not, or if you have bumper stickers that say there's only one way to heaven. Is that how people know if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? No, it's by how well you love people. And we forget this. We get into our theology and we want to learn all this deep stuff and show me my destiny and what am I called to do. And we forget it's all about people. Jesus didn't die for the trees. He didn't die for whatever you believe. He died for people. The only thing you can take to heaven is people. That's the only thing you can take with you. We should unite in this every single time we come together. Ephesians 4.13, to build up the body of Christ. Come together in the unity of faith. There's more power in unity. And you may not agree on everything, but we can agree on love. I was reading one of Aesop's fables from several hundred years ago. And there's one about these four oxen and a lion. And these four oxen, every day, the lion would kind of come in to try to attack one of them. But the oxen all had each other's back. One would always face north, one south, one east, and one west. So they could always see in which direction the lion was coming, and they'd be prepared. Well, one day the lion thought, this isn't working, so I'm going to try something else. So he decides to befriend the oxen. He says, listen, I just want to hang out with y'all. Just want to get into your circle. They thought it was so weird, but they let the lion in. Little by little, what the lion did was he started turning them against each other. Well, this one said this about you, and this one did this against you. And they all started going their own separate ways. At that point, the lion went after every one of them and took all of them out one by one. Listen, united we stand, divided we fall. I knew that you knew I was going to go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And before I read it, I want to tell you about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the supernatural chapter. Speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, uh, prophesying, all the exciting stuff that we love. When this was written, there was no chapters and verses. It was just a straight letter. So when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, it is right after reading about all this supernatural, spiritual, powerful, deep Christian stuff, okay? In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, But if I can speak with tongues, like we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12, tongues of men and tongues of angels, but I don't love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, which is so cool, and I possess all knowledge, and I have faith to move mountains but don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor, my sacrifice, my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it does me no good at all. Let me, let me, let me um, modernize it for us. If I can preach a really great sermon but I don't love people, it does me no good. 
If I can play the most beautiful song, write the coolest parody, teach the best Sunday school lesson, if I can walk around this building and pray for people and mountains move in their life, but I'm not doing it because I love people, it does me no good at all. And we get so caught up on, on is, is the doctrine right? Is this right? What he said about this and that? And, what is this? and we get all into gossip and looking at things on social media and what do they get into? And we forget it's all about loving people. I heard about um, these two friends, Archie and Martin. And Archie was a white guy and Martin was a black guy. And they were best friends all growing up, all through high school. After college, they both got married around the same time. Their families played together. But one thing they always argued about was whether Jesus was white or Jesus was black. Archie was just as sure that Jesus was white and Martin was just as sure that Jesus was black. And any time Christianity or came up, they'd always start talking, well, you know Jesus is white. And Martin would say, no, 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 I can tell you, Jesus was black. On and on it went. Fate would have it, they died on the same day. And they ran up to the pearly gates. They said, St. Peter, we've been fighting our whole life. Tell us, is Jesus white or is Jesus black? About that time, Jesus came around the corner and said, Buenos dias. First John 4, 7, and 8, let us love one another, because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. You know, this is, it's a lot more simpler than we make it. Being a believer is a lot more simple than what we think it is. Just stink and love people. And, and, and I want to teach you, we're not called to be in deep relationships with everyone, but we are called to love everyone. Okay, I need you to know before we get into our three points, I'm not telling you to let everybody in your inner circle, and you call everybody back who wants to hang out with you and all that, but we are called to love everyone. It's very easy to tell if somebody's actually been spending time with Jesus by how well they love. That's how you can really tell. So three points, if you're ready, say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Point number one, love is not self-seeking. It's not about you, it's about helping the other person. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love is not proud or rude. Love does not insist on its own rights. Remember that phrase for the end of the sermon. It does not insist on its own rights, and it is not self-seeking. Love is not easily offended. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, uh, listen, I want to tell you something, and I'm going to say it in love? You know what that means, right? They're about to not say something in love. They're about to blast you. Listen, if it's in love, you don't got to tell me it's in love. I can feel it. I can sense it. I can tell by the words and the attitude and the motives of your heart if it's love or not. Are, are we right about that? Um, last Sunday, I said in the first service, there, I asked in the middle of the sermon, I said, is there a girl in here named Taylor that works at TD Bank? And there was a girl at the very, very back of church. Last Sunday, this couple came up to me after the first service, and they were such loving people. I started talking. I said, how'd you find out? They said, well, some girl at your church at the bank, we were making a deposit. She invited us to church. And I could tell, you know, people say flattering things, and they're very kind. <clears throat> but in, within five seconds, I could tell this couple loved God with all their heart and truly loved people. And we started talking, and it uh, turns out they were retired pastors. They were traveling from Vermont down to Savannah. They just were passing through Myrtle Beach. And um, they stayed for the second service as well. We talked after that. Gave him my number. I said, can I please take y'all to lunch this week? We went to lunch. It was the most beautiful, 
30, 45 minute lunch, you could imagine. I poured my heart out to them. I could tell them anything. They responded with such great love. Listen, love isn't based on a feeling, it's an action. You might not feel like doing it, but you choose to do it. You know, Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He was sweating great drops of blood and actually said, is there another way? No, there's not. Okay, but he made a choice. Thank God love is a choice and not a feeling Amen. or we wouldn't be here today, right? And this couple, they were so loving, man, I could tell in a minute. I mean, just every bit of the conversation was patient and kind and it wasn't self-seeking and it was all about giving. They were so encouraging. I had a guy come up to me maybe two or three years ago and um, he said, after the service, I want to tell you something, Pastor, and I want to say it in love. I thought, okay, this is going to be good. He said, um, me and my wife, we don't like a lot of the clothes that you wear at church on Sunday. They said, some of your shirts are too bright. They said, some of your shirts are too bright, and we don't like to look at you while you're preaching. I wanted to say, then turn around and look the other way and just listen, you know, but I didn't. And, um, you know, when somebody says something like that to me, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you, what you say offended you, the exact opposite. So that week, I went out and I tried to find the YouTube video so I could show you the, the sermon, the clip, but I went out and bought the brightest shirt you could possibly buy. I mean, it, had, it looked like it had Crayola markers all over it, and I wore it next Sunday. I wore it in love, but I wore it next Sunday. <laughs> preached my heart out. It was so ugly, I threw it away right after service. I took it off and threw it away, but I had to do it one time. I did it in love. But anyway, okay, so let me teach you seven Greek words for the word love. In our English dialect, we just say, I love dogs, I love spaghetti, I love my neighbor, you know, but there's different words for love in Greek, okay? So for your notes, I don't know if I put it in your notes, but I know it's up here, so if you want to take a picture. The first one is agape. That's God's love. It's universal love. It's selfless. In other words, God loves every single person as much as love can love, no matter what they've done or what they've gone through or anything. Then you have phileo or phileo, which is friendship love. We get the word, actually Philadelphia came from that, brotherly love. Storge is protective or parental love, family love. Eros, where we get the word erotic, is romantic love or passionate love. Ludus is playful or flirtatious. In other words, if you're dating somebody and you've never even kissed and you just think, I really love them, you can say love because there is a love for that, right? There is a love for that. Um, pragma, long-lasting, committed love, like you love your dog, right? You'll take care of that dog until the day that dog dies. You feed it every day. You're committed to it. And then there's a uh, hard word for love, and that is uh, self-love or being confident because you can't love people if you can't love yourself. So it's about loving who God made you to be, okay? Two things I want you to say. Number one is this. These seven loves, the only relationship on planet Earth that actually involves all seven is the relationship of marriage. The other thing I want you to see is, is if you don't have agape, all of the rest means something different. If God is love and God is not in your life, you don't have the love to do the other things. In other words, if there's no agape, then eros is just lust. If you don't have agape, then um, uh, storge, you can want to protect your kids so you don't hurt. You can want your kids to succeed so you feel better. But when you have agape, it's all about them. Do you see what I'm saying? So you've got to have agape in your life. Uh, Luke 10, 25 says this. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said this. What's in the law? He said, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor 
ask yourself. You know, when I read the Gospels, it's so interesting. Jesus was such a good, he's so filled with truth and love. He would win a debate with some of the best lawyers there were around. We have a guy in our first service, Thomas Winslow, and he's an incredible lawyer. And I've known a lot of lawyers. That's not something I should normally brag about, but I have. And uh, he's the best of the best. He's brilliant. His mind is so quick. And he does like 10 different types of law. He's one of the best lawyers in South Carolina. Comes to our first service. But I, I told him, I said, man, I feel sorry for your wife. He said, what do you mean? I said, when y'all are home and y'all get in an argument, does she even talk? Is she like, you know what? I'm married to the best lawyer in South Carolina. Forget it. I shouldn't even say anything. You know, that's what I think. But anyway, so Jesus was debating with this lawyer. And the lawyer in verse 29 to justify himself said, well, who's my neighbor? It's a good question. He's being a good lawyer. He's saying, is my neighbor, the one I'm supposed to love, is it someone that has the same color skin as me? Is it the one who has the same denominational background? Is it the one who believes the same thing? Is it someone from the same political party as me? So in order to answer the question, Jesus told them a story. He said, well, there was this guy who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, some robbers beat him up, and uh, they took his money. They took some of his clothing. They left him on the ground to die. And Jesus said, but don't worry, because there was a man traveling down the road who was a priest. Now listen, when he said priest, I bet all the Jewish people thought, oh good, somebody's there to show some love. The first person that Jesus used to explain the person who did not show love was a religious person. When I read that, I can't help but think about when I was in high school and all my buddies, they weren't even Christians. Man, we would fight for each other. I mean, we would fight for each other, and they didn't even know God. And Jesus is saying the religious person saw the guy that needed help, and he walked on the other side of the road and just kept on going. The next person Jesus used, listen, was somebody that went to church as well, a Levite. They thought, well, I'm sure the guy that goes to church will help him. No, 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 no. The Levite did the same thing. Saw him there, completely ignored him, and just kept on going. So then Jesus said there was a third guy. He was from Samaria. Now, Samaria and this Jewish lawyer, they had a different color skin. They were from different social backgrounds, and they didn't believe the same. So Jesus is about to rock this guy's world when he says, the guy from Samaria went straight to the person in need. He bandaged his wounds. He wiped the blood off of him. He put him on his own animal, because love is not self-seeking. Put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, and paid for somebody to take care of him. When Jesus finished the story, he said, now who do you think was the good neighbor? In verse 36, the guy said this, the one that showed compassion and mercy. Jesus said, you're right. Now go and do the same thing. Amen. Um, I heard about this guy who came to church for the very first time ever. He had no idea what to expect, anything. He was just searching Jesus. And uh, he came in wearing what he normally wears. He had holes all in his jeans, you know. And he had this big bright shirt on with gold chains hanging down and earrings all in his ear and all that. He comes to church and the only seat available was in the front row, so he sits in the front row. It was a very high-class, you know, well-to-do church, and so some of the people in church got upset. And they told the pastor, you need to do something about this guy. Who does he think he is wearing stuff like this out and coming to our church like that? So the pastor goes up to the young man afterwards and said, listen, son, I'm glad you came to church, but you need to go home and you need to talk to God and you need to ask God what you should wear before you come back to my church. The next Sunday, the guy comes back to church wearing the exact same outfit. The pastor scolded him. He said, I told you, you need to talk to God and ask God what you should wear before you come to my church. The man said, I did ask God what I should wear before I come to your church. But he said he didn't know because he's never been to your church before. 
John 15, John, listen, and people, well, she shouldn't be wearing that. Listen, thank God she's in church. Listen, you can come to this church high. You can come to this church wearing a bathing suit. You can come to this church believing that God is not real. Just come to church. And we'll take care of you. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than when a man lays his life down for his friends. God's love does not exclude people. It includes, he loves everyone. The goal is for them to love him. Uh, point number two is this, love believes the very best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love quietly, quietly covers all things. And is ever ready to believe the best of every person. There was a guy who was singing on our music team a while back. and He was, got upset one day and he said, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm not, I'm not singing. With I said, what's wrong? He said, somebody in your church smells like pot. I wanted to say, how do you know what pot smells like? <laughs> now, for those of you all know what pot is, pot is a, there's a, 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 a tree like a marrow. It's called marijuana. You all know what pot is? Okay. Some of y'all are like, yeah, pastor, I know what it is. <clears throat> as long as you tithe. Uh, anyway, and so, <laughs> off of your baggie. And so, he said, uh, you, he said, you're the pastor. You should do something about it because I can't sing at your church if there's somebody that smells like pot. And so, I told him, I said, there is something that smells in this church, but it's not pot. Isaiah 65, 5, a holier-than-thou attitude is a stench in my nostrils all day. I have four boys. When they were all living at home, I can tell you what a stench in my nostrils is all day. It smells way worse than pot, I'll tell you that. Pot smells good compared to that. Matthew 7, 2 says this, With the same measure that you use to judge and criticize others, God will judge you. I have a, an acquaintance in my life. I've known this person for uh, probably 25 uh, years or more. I forget how old I am. I'm old. Probably more than that. But anyway... And um, on the outside, they are a super Christian. I mean, they look the part, dress modestly. <clears throat> this person will not watch R-rated movies. They don't go to the beach. They don't go to the water park. They think that's wrong. Um, they don't cuss. They don't drink. They don't chew. Uh, they don't hang out with people that do. Um, they can quote scripture, tons of scripture. This person can teach the Bible so well. But I've never known them to love people. And so I had a conversation about three months ago. I said, do you mind if I ask you something in love? I said, um, I said, and we've known each other forever. And I said, um, I said, you know, I know that you love Jesus and I know you're good at this and this and this. I said, but have you ever loved anybody? They said, what do you mean? I said, have you, I said, I've, I've only, I've never known you to believe the best. You always believe the worst. I've never known you to cover. You always expose. I said, I've never known you to be patient and kind. You're usually a little bit proud and boastful and rude, and uh, we're not acquaintances anymore after that, but anyway, um, but I thought about that, I thought, you know what, I have a lot of problems, I have a lot of problems, okay, I have a lot of problems, but one thing I think that God has always been very pleased with is that I love people who seem to be unlovable, I love people that are gay, I love people that are atheists, I love people that don't believe like me, and I don't water down the truth of the word. I think it's so much easier to present the truth in love than we think it is. Add some humor in there. And, and listen, when I present truth sometimes to people, I talk about myself. Let me tell you why I need Jesus. 
Let me tell you why I was in pain. Let me tell you why I was on the way to hell. I talk about me. It's so much easier to present truth that way when you're referring to yourself than it is pointing at them, you know? But I would rather have a lot of problems and love people than be Mr. Perfect Christian and not care about people. Um, Genesis 9.26 says this, 9.21. One day Noah became drunk from the wine and lay naked in his tent. And for some of y'all, that was two nights ago, okay? You know who you are. You're on Facebook. And so he got drunk and naked, right? Drunk and naked. And so, um, and listen, let me just say this. He just got off of a cruise with his family and a ton of animals for a long time. I would get drunk and naked as well. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, okay? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's like Thanksgiving Day times however many days they were in the boat. It's not good. And... Um, and so, he, and so one person, his son Ham, saw what, walked in the tent and saw his dad drunk and naked. When he walked out, he went and told two people what happened. That's it. Just told two people. You won't believe what Noah did. Now, I want to say this as well. When I talk to pastors, and a lot of times if they're struggling to try to grow their church numerically, I'll say, are you preaching what God wants you to preach? And they'll say yes. I'll say, then don't worry about the numbers. Because the Bible says that Noah was a righteous preacher. That phrase, righteous preacher, means Noah said exactly what God wanted. But listen, he had zero converts. Nobody believed him. Nobody came to his church. In fact, he practically had to force his family to get on the boat and believe what he said. Okay? So righteous preacher is now drunk and naked. The son that went out and told two people, God cursed that son for the rest of his life. The two people that he told did the most beautiful and respectful thing you could imagine. In verse 23, they walked backward. They didn't even want to see it. They didn't even want to hear about it. They didn't want a picture of it in their mind. They didn't even want to know. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to have the image. I don't want to know. They walked in backward, and here's what they did. They covered the nakedness of their father. You know what's so interesting? God never dealt with Noah. Never said anything about drunk and naked. But God cursed the one that told two people. Evidently Noah was repentant. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why. Now, I was thinking about this scripture. And I thought about how prideful I am. Because when people tell me their sins. And don't, I don't want to know. But sometimes y'all tell me anyway. And definitely don't email it to me so it's on paper. Okay? Just if you want to. Just say something, say it, and then we're done. But I say, just go to God and just repent and be done. Right? Ask for innocence and go for it. But when somebody sins that same sin against me, now I'm upset. It's pride. It's the opposite of love. In other words, if somebody came up to you after church saying, said, listen, I got drunk and naked last Friday night, you would say, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know. Just ask God for forgiveness. Isn't that what y'all would say? Isn't that what y'all would say? What would y'all say? Show me a picture. What would y'all say? <laughs> anyway, but if they got drunk and naked on your front lawn, how many people would you tell? Because y'all be getting your security cameras, wouldn't you? Rewind, fast forward, rewind, fast forward. See, you know, because it happened to you. That's our pride. That's the opposite of love, by the way. Opposite of love. Um, there was this lady, true story, her and her husband, they had a little dog named Lucky. And uh, Lucky loved the wife so much. Lucky followed her all around the house, everywhere she went all the time. <clears throat> One day, um, they discovered that Lucky had a, had a problem. 
had an addiction. Uh, Lucky would steal things that he could fit in his mouth and run down to the basement and hide them in his big old toy box. Lucky would steal chapstick, lipstick, wallets, cigarettes, pens, phones, whatever he could get in his mouth. Whenever they had guests come and stay with their house, they have to tell him, you need to leave your suitcases closed because Lucky will steal your underwear, your socks, take it down to his little thing. One day the wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and she had to go to the hospital. She was there for three weeks and the husband brought Lucky in every day to see her. It made her feel so much better. Um, after she had her surgery, she finally was able to come home, but she was unable to go up the stairs and stay in the bedroom, so the husband just let her lay on the couch to rest. Lucky sat there right in front of her, watched her every second. He knew something was wrong. He knew that she was sick. When she finally dozed off and went to sleep, about an hour later, she woke up with this heaviness all over her chest, and she couldn't breathe, and she started screaming to her husband. Her husband runs down the stairs. By the time he gets there, her, um, her nervousness, her fear, it gave way to smiles and tears of joy. She looked all across her body, and while she was asleep, one trip after the other, Lucky went down to the basement and got every single toy he had and gently placed it all over her body. She looked at her husband and said, Honey, Lucky just covered me with his love. That's my challenge for us today. Not to cover people with judgment, not to cover them with gossip, not to cover them with criticism, but cover them with love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, sincerely love each other, for love covers a multitude of sins and the offenses of others. Point number three is this, love never fails. I love this, 1 Corinthians 13.8. You want to know what will work? Love. Well, I don't know what to do about this. Love. How can we get through this? Love. What does God want me to do here? Love. It never fails. Galatians 5.6, faith works through love. Love breaks down barriers. Love brings healing to souls that are unhealthy. Now, I do need to teach you something very important, okay? Very important, so hear me. Love is not a synonym for tolerance. Uh, we do not tolerate sin, but we love the one who is sinning. In other words, we still act. Remember, it's not a feeling. We're still kind, patient, giving, forgiving. We still cover. We believe the best, but we don't tolerate the sin. Do you understand the difference? Um, we do not celebrate pride, but we love the ones that are. We still treat them with respect. We're still kind. We're, we're not rude. We're not boastful. We're not proud. We need Jesus just as much as they do. We don't, uh, well, can I, can I smoke in a hospital? No, they don't tolerate that. Well, they're just not a loving hospital. <laughs> Love is not a synonym for tolerance, but we can still show the action behind it. You can celebrate a person without celebrating what they believe. It's a lot easier than you think. Uh, I read a true story about Mahatma Gandhi. When he was a, a young man, when he was a student, he was trying to search out what it was that was dividing India. And so he decided he was going to read the Gospels. He read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After that, he wanted to go to church one Sunday. So he went to a Christian church in hopes that afterwards he could talk to the pastor about becoming a Christian. When Gandhi walked into the building, they refused to seat him. They suggested that he go and worship with his own kind. Gandhi left church never to return again. And he said, and I'll quote, if Christians are that judgmental, I should remain a Hindu. How would our entire world be different 
if we had just loved Gandhi when he walked into the room. Uh, when I, I like to close with a, a, a Bible story in the New Testament. When I find a story in the New Testament, I always like to find a synoptic verse in the Old Testament. I can, I can prove that everything in the Old Testament is the new and vice versa. Psalms 113.6 says this, and remember this. God stoops. Everybody say stoops. God stoops down to raise the poor from the dust, from the dirt, and lift the needy from the ash. The God who sits so high is the God who stoops so low. And if he has to, he'll get in the dirt. He'll get in the dirt if he has to to lift up a homosexual, to lift up somebody living in sin, to lift up an atheist. Just ask Rahab, Zacchaeus, Jacob. God sees a Paul in every Saul. God sees a Paul in every Saul. Um, John, 18, John 8 verse 3 says this. As Jesus was teaching in the church, the religious people, the Pharisees, brought a woman who they caught. They caught her. They were out looking for it. They caught her in adultery. They made her stand in the center. And they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. The law commands us. Remember the law, the Mosaic law. Commands us to stone her to death. What do you say? Whenever I read the Bible, I'm such a visual person. Oh, my goodness. I can see the facial expressions of everyone in the story. I can smell what's in the air. I can sense the temperature in the room. I mean, I can hear the noises in the background. I see it all. I can see the time of day it is. I visualize it. So I want you to visualize with me just for a second a woman that's been dragged into this room, and she's totally and completely humiliated. I'm sure, I'm sure that some of her clothing has been torn. She's crying her eyes out. And everybody in church, everyone in church, every person in the church knows her deepest, darkest, secret sin. And she can't say, you got the wrong person because they called her doing it. I need you to hear with me some of the voices in the crowd saying things like, shame on you. What would make you do that? You're a disgrace. Can you hear those voices? She doesn't know what to do. She's completely afraid. She feels like nobody's on her side. Um, when this story occurred, and I read it, there's two things I want to know. The first one I, I want to know is this. Where's the dude at? <laughs> they caught the woman in the act of adultery. Wouldn't they just let him off the hook? Which tells me even 2,000 years ago, people still hear one side and think it's only one-sided. They don't even need to worry about that. It's always one-sided, right? Second thing I want to know is this. What were the religious people doing spying on her? I'll tell you what they weren't doing. They weren't feeding the poor. They were not in church stacking chairs up. They weren't teaching Sunday school. They weren't doing any of that stuff. They were looking for somebody to fail and somebody who they could expose afterwards. When I read this, I think about this embarrassed woman, completely humiliated, and I always thought, man, I wish there was somebody there to stand up for her. I realized this past week, she didn't need anybody to stand up for her. In verse 6, it says that Jesus stooped down to her. He gets down to the ground and began writing, remember we read in the Old Testament, in the dirt with his finger as though he did not even hear them. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't even listen to stuff like that. Our God is not a God of stained glass windows. Our God is a God 
that'll get down in the dirt. Amen. He wanted to look her right in the eyes. In verse 7 it says, he stood up again and said, he who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. Then here's what he did. He got right back in the dirt and stooped down once again. I bet everybody thought, he's stooping down to pick up a rock. He was stooping down to pick up some mercy. All the religious leaders, they walked away uh, from oldest to youngest, one by one. He asked this woman, where are your accusers? She said, there's nobody left to accuse me. In verse 11, he looked at her with his incredible eyes of love and said, I don't condemn you either. Go now and sin no more. Now, he said, I don't tolerate sin, but I love the sinner. What if she did the same thing next week? What would Jesus have done? He would have stooped down in the ground, looked her in the eyes and said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What if she did it six months later? What would Jesus have done then? He would have stooped down to the ground, looked her in the eyes and said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The last thing I want you to see about this story is this. <laughs> Jesus never said you can't throw stones. He did not disagree with the law. In fact, he told them, you can throw a stone at her. But he gave a requirement. The requirement is you have to be without sin. In other words, there was actually somebody there present in the situation who had the right. Remember I told you, remember, love does not insist on its own rights. Who had the right to throw a stone. And the one person who actually had the right blows my mind the one person who had the right to take care of this woman once and for all was the one person who showed her mercy I was shocked and confused and bewildered as I entered through heaven's door not by the beauty of it all or the lights or its decor it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp the thieves and the liars the alcoholics in the trash. There stood that kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Ralph, who was sitting pretty on cloud nine. I thought he was rotting away in hell. I messed that up. Ralph, who was rotten, who I thought was rotten away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. I said, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up in heaven? Did God make a mistake? And why is everybody so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, my child, said Jesus. Everybody's in shock. Nobody thought they'd be seeing you. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Your destiny is begins and ends with loving God and loving people. Amen? Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. It is so easy to love the people we agree with. It is so easy to act kind and patient It's so easy to cover when it has nothing to do with us. I'm not telling you you have to be in relationship with everybody. Please hear that. 
But if you're here today and you need some more fruit in your life, you need the Holy Spirit to produce more love, there's someone that God has put in your path and you have not been loving them the way God requires. Can you lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? Hands up, 30 seconds. Everybody that had the faith to raise their hand, we say we raise our hands because it's a sign showing God it's not on us. We can't do it. We, we have to have him do it. We have to have him do it. So, Lord, we ask right now that you begin to produce more of this fruit in our life. Give us the love we need to cover. Give us the love we need to believe the best. Give us the love we need to be patient and kind. Give us the love that we need to forgive. Give us the love that we need to not be self-seeking. Give us the love that we need, Lord, that will never, ever, ever fail. Help us when we come and count, encounter this person, Lord Jesus. Help us to shine so bright with the love of God. Lord, let them see that we belong to you, not because of how well we can quote scripture or by you know, how well we dress or any of that stuff. Let them see that we are a Christian because we radiate with the love of God. I thank you, Lord, for producing what only the Holy Spirit can produce in our life. We're so grateful. And we thank you in Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to ourselves.